uh, man, thankful for each of you guys and your leadership. And I would encourage you uh, to come, come hang around, meet folks, and, and thank them at the end of the service today. Uh, we're in Psalm 22 this morning, Psalm 22. Uh, we've been in a series in the Psalms, uh, really singing and praying with Jesus in so many ways. That might sound like a strange phrase or an odd phrase, but you look through the New Testament, you look through the pictures of the Gospels, one of the things you really see is, is Jesus singing and praying these very words that we read, specifically some of the ones we'll read today. This is Jesus's, in, in so many ways, the Psalter with Jesus's prayer book is the way in which he communed with God. He understood and grew and developed and shared with his disciples who God is and what he was doing for them. Psalms are an incredible place where we find all of these different genres of really how we can commune with God. You know, we started a few weeks ago and looked at Psalms 1 and 2 and really those kind of setting the framework for reading all the Psalms because in a, in a really big way, those are the introduction to, that's the picture of what the whole book of Psalms is. It's this focus that's on the one, the righteous man, that Jesus, we get to see this picture that Jesus is here in the midst of all of these Psalms. The picture of his righteousness, the picture of him fulfilling Torah law, the picture of him living in a way that is gracious and merciful and beautiful and forgiving and meeting the people of God wherever they find themselves. The next week we walked into Psalm 8 and we saw this the kind of exploring the genre of praise. It's a, it's a praise, a Psalm of David, a praise of creation. The following week we looked at Psalm 73. It's a Psalm of wisdom. There's tons of Psalms that are pictures of wisdom that help us understand how God's teaching, His instruction, His law is for our benefit. Last week we looked at probably the most familiar Psalm to any of us in Psalm 23. It's a Psalm of trust. It's a Psalm of trust. Today we're going to be looking at Psalm 22 which is in a very different genre. It's one called lament. Lament means sorrow. To lament is to grieve. I want to take an opportunity this morning to invite you to do something. We've done this a lot already, but I want to ask you to close your eyes this morning. Take a minute and close your eyes. I want to ask you to think very intently, very specifically on a moment of sorrow or grief that you've experienced. Maybe it's in the past, maybe it's in the recent past, maybe it's right now. Maybe it's the unexpected death of a loved one. Maybe it's divorce, maybe it's betrayal of a spouse or a friend. Maybe it's the loneliness that has spun into depression. Maybe it's the chronic pain that you deal with. Maybe it was a storm, the tornado, fire, the, the, the storm in which you lost everything. Maybe it was the firing or it was the layoff or it was the miscarriage or it was the foreclosure. Open your eyes. I don't know what it is for you or what it was for you.
But I know what you felt in those moments. You felt moments of anguish, deep anguish, confusion, this very real, this very palpable sorrow, this deep grief. That's, that's lament. But we're not meant to do nothing with that. We're actually meant to do something. Something very specific. And Psalm 22, in so many ways, is a picture of and an instructive guide into how we can pray prayers and speak to God and commune with Him in the midst of that lament, in the midst of that pain and that grief. We're going to read Psalm 22 in a moment. Before we do, I want to share with you what I believe we're going to see in this Psalm of David this morning. We're going to see this, that in lament, real prayer leads to remembrance of God's promises and then reverent praise. Keep this phrase in mind as we walk through this text this morning, that in lament, real prayer, honest prayer, raw prayer, in the midst of that, we are going to have the opportunity to remember God's promises, and that will lead us, just like it does for David, to a place of praise. Psalm 22, in so many ways, is going to be a, a template, a, a picture for us this morning of how we can go to God and we can lament. This is Psalm 22, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the whole psalm so we get the whole picture, the full context. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there are none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax that is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They've pierced my hands and feet. I can count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. 
In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. I'm like you. Sometimes I don't want to read all 31 verses, all right? But there's this really big shift that you and I need to see from verse 1 to verse 31. There's a range of emotions and a range of things that happened here in this psalm. And for David, he goes from this place of saying, My God, why have you forsaken me? To he has done it. How do you get to that place? How do you move from the place of despair, doubt, loneliness, fear and feeling of abandonment? To the place of confidence, to the place of recognition that everything's finished, that it's secure, that it's complete, that there's safety, that it's done. I don't know about you, but I just like it when life's kind of up and to the right. You just kind of like make a decision and you take a step ahead and you just kind of continually climb up, up and up, right? You're making progress, none of this like, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of stuff. I don't have to tell you that life isn't easy. And that life is full of painful, sorrowful, grieving moments of lament. You know that. This morning, the psalm is going to share with us and teach us the Holy Spirit through the psalm is going to enlighten us and encourage us in this. Here's what I think that you and I don't know. And I would say we know it, right? We know it cognitively. But I'm not sure we believe this. That we can give our deepest, most painful, most brutal Thoughts, doubts, fears, worries to God in prayer. You're a rowdy group. Here's what I think your response is to that. All right, I'm supposed to believe that. I should believe that. I do believe that. 
for all of us? I don't think that we do. I don't think that we do. If Brian Marbury came in here this morning and stood up on this stage and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Or if Paxton came up here and sang that, right, and led us in that, Angie's over here singing like the forsaken harmony, right? I think we'd look around and say, this is not okay. This is weird. This is bad. Are we allowed to say things like this? Are we allowed to really bring stuff like this to God? The answer is yes. And additionally, this is so wild. This is the hymn book. This is meant to be read and said and stated and prayed and sung in front of other brothers and sisters. I don't think it's going to be the catchiest tune. But it's real. Couple things I want to point out about real prayer and what God is showing us in these first couple verses of David's moment of pain. Number one, I love so much of, of Scripture because there's just this, this incredible history and background to almost every verse in the Scriptures. There's a time, there's a place, there's real people, these are events, these are moments, these are histories. Sure, there's, there's poetry and there's wisdom. Things like we're reading in the Psalms in the, over the course of this summer. But these are real moments with real people in which God is interacting with those that he loves. I love the specificity of Paul's missionary journeys and all of these things that we find in the scriptures that show us that this is God meeting his people right where they were. These are real moments. But then you come to a psalm like this, and God in all his wisdom and all his graciousness does not give us David's exact scenario. I don't know where he is in this moment. I tried to find out. I don't know if he's running from Absalom, if it's, if it's Saul. I, I, don't, I don't know if, he's, if, if this is the, the, the precursor moment from which he can write about being the valley of the shadow, shadow of, or the valley of the shadow of death. You know, I, where is David? I don't know. But it's intentional. So many of the Psalms of Lament are written in a real way to express real emotion but not be tied to, to this one specific event so that you and I could understand and we could see that our lives are often in that event too. That's what this psalm is for you and me. It's an invitation and it's an opportunity to say, we can look back all the time and say, well, that was then and that was what it looks like. They'll just feel the emotion of it. See who David is and where he is and what he's walking through and I bet you can find yourself there as well. Here's the other thing. There's such deep hope here because this psalm and so many psalms of event, go to 13, go look at that one as well. They give us this incredible freedom to pray real prayers. To pray the prayers that are scary to pray. 
the God, are you really there prayers? Because I don't feel like you hear me. And I'm beginning to question if you love me. God, if you loved me, why is it like this? Why did this happen to me or to my family or to my friends or to our community? You've been asking that lately? I bet a number of us have. This psalm is not tucked away in the back. It's not hidden from us. It's before us. God gives us permission to speak with him this way. You know what David's doing in this moment? When you think about how bold this is, he's interrogating God. He's putting God on blast. Are you real? Have you forsaken me? Have you left me? We hear that and it makes us uncomfortable. And that's okay. In some ways it should. But God wants our real prayers and he gives us permission to pray them. Look at David and what he prays in verse 1 and verse 2. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? That moment you thought of earlier, that moment of pain, I bet when it first happened at, at the catalyst of that moment, at the inception of that moment, at the beginning of that moment, there were probably these things that you felt that you just wrote so guttural, so painful, so agonizing that you didn't have words for what you felt and how you hurt. This is what David is talking about when he says groaning. It's this inside, this pain that's inside that he, he can't even put words to. From the words of my groaning, he says, Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. There's no quietness is what that word means. There's still this, this noise, this chaos that exists. Because he seemingly can't find God. He's really praying, unabashedly honest. This is what real prayer is. And one of the beautiful things about the Psalms, and uh, David Taylor writes this, and I think it's so helpful, is that the Psalms give us edited words for our unedited emotions. When I don't, I don't know how to say or put words to this, this is what God has gifted us and given us in his word, the opportunity to express the pain that we feel, and the permission to come to him with real prayer. The one, who, the one who is praising God and saying, God, who are you that you're mindful of me, that you would even think of me, is now pointing the finger and saying, God, have you abandoned me? Because it feels like you've abandoned me. It's in this moment of real prayer where David is honest, completely honest with God, that he actually gets a deeper picture of who God is 
by bringing forth this kind of ugly, raw honesty. Look what happens next. Look at verse 3. You, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and our fathers, or in you rather, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So what's happening here in this moment when David brings his real prayers before God, he can't help but remember the promises of God. I want you to think about this. David's prayer has massive faith. You might look at that and say, well, this doesn't sound like David seems like he has a lot of faith at all. He's questioning that God has abandoned him. Yeah, but he's talking to God about it. He's praying to God about it. He's acknowledging his presence. He's saying, God, it feels as if this is the case. He's still leaning into the presence of God. And as he does that, the picture begins to become a little more clear. He's reminded, he remembers of all these promises. All the things that God has, has done, that he filled, that he said he would do. He says, in you our fathers trusted. He looks back to the lineage of his people, of Israel. He says, they trusted you and you delivered them. You came through for them. They had the hurt. They had the pain. They had the hard questions. They wondered if they were going to be redeemed. And you did it. You did it. When we go to God with our real prayers, when we acknowledge his presence, when we bring even the hard things to him, inevitably this will happen. We will remember who he is. Will remember what he's done. You have these conversations in life with your spouse, with your child, with a friend. You talk about hard stuff, you talk to them about how you felt abandoned, or how you felt left alone, or how you felt unseen, or unloved, or hurt. And you don't base your whole relationship off of one moment. Instead, you look back and you say, man, this person has been there for me. This person cares for me. This person loves me. As David stands in the presence of God, he's reminded and he remembers of the promises of God. But it's not this like up into the right linear perfect path. It's just not this easy thing. Because look down into verse 6. What do he say? But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. See what's happening here? In the midst of what David knows, he's still honest about what he feels. He knows who God is and what he's done and how God has provided and how God's come through and how God has fulfilled his promises. And yet... He's still saying, but this is what it feels like. It feels like I'm a worm. This is a different kind of David feeling small. That Psalm 8 small, that God, who are, or who are you and who am I that you would be mindful of me, that you would think about me? Now he says, I'm a worm. I'm barely above ground at all here. I'm nothing. And then he describes all of the enemies and all the things that are assailing him and coming around him. He uses all these, these animalistic pictures, these metaphors of bulls encompassing him. 
these strong bulls of Bashan. This is an area that, that's known for, for, for bulls and, and the, the incredible livestock they have. So when you read that, you're thinking of uh, it's like it's Deuteronomy 32, Ezekiel 39. And, but really for you and I, we think of it as like, you know, what, you know, what onions are to Vidalia, right? Georgia, like, you know, these bulls are to Bashan, right? This is, the, this is the thing that they specialize in. The bullest of the bulls are all over this guy. And I want you to think about this. He says he's a worm. It's bulls that are trampling their feet all around him. There are, there are lions. They open their mouth like lions. He describes all of the assailants that are coming around him to the point of not just pain, but death. Look at verse 15. He says his tongue sticks to his jaws. He's laid in the dust of death. He can count his bones, but his hands and feet are pierced and his clothes are taken and cut up. In the midst of what David recognizes is true, he's still very honest about what he feels and God meets him in it. As he walks through these things, there's this shift Because remembering these promises can't help but bring him to praise. In verse 22, it begins. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers. What is he going to tell? That he's been rescued. He's going to tell others to praise the Lord. Tell others that he hasn't been despised, that he hasn't been afflicted, that he hasn't been left alone. He's going to tell everybody about what God has done. So much so... That he will say this, that in verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That he has done it. The good news for you and me this morning is in so many ways, David is writing under the influence, the power of the Holy Spirit. He's penning these words. And you and I are those people who were yet unborn when he wrote it. Because the good news that he gives speaks of Jesus Christ. You look into Matthew's gospel and the crucifixion account, and this is what you're going to find. Look into the book of Matthew. This is Matthew 27, verses 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lima sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What Jesus is doing in this moment and helping us understand is this, that he sees that this psalm is about him. It is written all about him. And Jesus, in this moment at the crucifixion, in taking on the weight of sin, death, and hell, all of death, he is forsaken for our sake. Do you see that? Jesus is the one who takes on this forsakenness so that you and I could become the righteousness of God, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could be friends with God. This is what Jesus has done for us. He's done it. He's done it. 
There are other, other things that happen at the crucifixion account that give us the picture of what's happening here in Psalm 22. This is John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. It says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that now that all was finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So he receives the sour wine that comes from the sponge, and he says, it is finished. He bows his head, he gives up his spirit. That word thirst, it corresponds with what's happening here, this mouth that sticks to a jaw. This is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The tearing of garments, the casting of lots, this is about Jesus. What's happening at the cross in these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's showing us that though we suffer, he has taken on all suffering on our behalf so that we can have a relationship with God through him. It's his life, it's his death, it's his resurrection that makes us new. This is John's gospel. These are the words he uses, right? It is finished. Think about the correspondence to the end of the psalm. He's done it. It's complete. I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know what you're walking through in this moment. And I want to be so honest. I'm, I'm probably a lot like you. I'm averse to pain. I'm not a huge fan of it, all right? I used to have this picture in my head of what I thought God could be like. And unfortunately, for a season, probably what I thought he should be like. I thought if he was really God, and if he really loved me, and don't look at me like that because you've had this thought too. That he'd keep you from all the hurt. That he'd keep you from all the pain. That you wouldn't have to experience it. You just wouldn't have to walk through any of it. You'd never know it. Never taste it. Never see it. I used to think that that idea was glorious. It pales in comparison. You know what's glorious? That the God of the universe would see my pain and meet me in it. Take the God that takes the pain or, or doesn't make you experience the pain. You can have that God. I want this God. His name is Jesus. He comes and meets you and me in the midst of all of our pain, all of our brokenness, all of the things that have happened to us and all the things that we did to put ourselves in the place that we find ourselves. Jesus comes to us. He loves you. He loves you. His arms are open to you. He wants to receive you. When you feel like he's left you, he hasn't left you. And he's not mad at you for telling him that that's how you feel. He wants you to. He invites you to. He gives you permission to. He asks you to. When we go to God with real prayer, he'll remind us of himself, who he is and what he's done, the promise of life that we have in Jesus, and we'll be drawn to praise. We'll be drawn to praise. We can lament. We can grieve. We can have sorrow. But we don't do it as a people without hope. Thanks be to God because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? If you will, uh, I'd invite you to stand. Um, and to bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, truly,
This is a room full of people, brothers and sisters. We love one another. We're in community together. We live in this community, in this area. We, we, our kids go to school together. We work near each other. We shop at the same grocery stores and buy gas at the same places. And God, we all hurt. We all have that in common. But Father, we praise you. We worship you. We are thankful for you. Because truly, Jesus, the son of suffering, endured the cross, defeated death so that we might have life and relationship with you. Father, for that, we are thankful. God, when we come to you with our real prayers, God, remind us of your promises and draw us to reverent praise. To adore you, to thank you, to bow before you as the one who has given us life. It's in Jesus' name we pray.